right, hello. Hope everyone's having a good day. With me today, I have Mike Poggi. Hello, Mike. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good. We have two mics here. Uh, so I'm excited to have Mike on the show. Um, we are going to talk about a movie, which I'm about to learn about. So um, do you have any uh, do you have any comments about the film before you reveal what it is? Um, yeah. So it's your selection it's, process is kind of what I want to hear about. So I went through a lot and I almost thought about kind of um, like turning it on a tad a little bit because I saw a bunch of the old Godzilla flicks were on there um, mm, and the criteria. Yes. And I was like, oh, man, we should watch like Destroy All Monsters. Um, but I started uh, watching that like like I watched like two minutes of that like two weeks ago yeah those ones are classics i definitely i watched a couple of them growing up because me and my buddy alan were like obsessed with godzilla when we were uh in our um preteen years um, yes but i decided okay, so maybe we'll watch that on the side right yeah like honestly the, yeah. i might still watch it um because yeah. i just am obsessed with godzilla especially those old ones were like weirdly groundbreaking um but that I episode decided... will be an only fans exclusive so Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're first uh, we'll do it shirtless um but it's a podcast uh, so it doesn't really mean anything um, yeah yeah so uh no i decided uh this is like a movie that has like orbited my brain for a while because i i think like the influence is seen in a lot of media that i'm already kind of into and i've like i've heard uh like people draw comparisons of like uh like oh this this like he he's pulled from this movie or he's pulled from uh, so i was kind of interested in seeing like some of this uh like almost like source material um yeah so uh so that that's kind of like i saw it on the list and i was like oh okay this is like a great excuse to like finally get this one under my belt um sweet yeah. all right well what are you waiting for man what what are we watching we are gonna watch uh seven samurai oh cool okay yeah i i think i have seen this like like 70 percent of this movie yeah it's uh, from what i was reading it's kind of it long is, right it's oh yeah, it's a big boy it's like a three-hour ride yeah all right cool so akira kurosawa mm-hmm. great filmmaker yes for sure i mean you're a big star wars guy yeah so you know the influence there right yeah like, that's yep, yep. yes right cool okay i'm excited so seven samurai we will be discussing this and i will see you on the other side All right, I am back with Mike Poggi, both of us having seen the three and a half hour Seven Samurai and uh, live to tell the tale. So how's it going, Mike? Uh, going pretty well, you know, a very uh, big fan of the movie. Ended up being really good. Nice. So you chose well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think like as we talked about maybe already, but like I think this is a great movie for you. You're a big superhero guy, so you've got like... I think we've got some like modern films we can talk about in terms of like the idea of a bunch of people and like assembling a team and whatever. I mean, this movie is this movie's from the fifties and it's been definitely like an influential film on ter- in terms of like a bunch of other genres, both in like action, adventure, superheroes, whatever. So lots to talk about. Um, one thing, like one disclaimer is that like, you and I, I don't know any Japanese people. I've never been to Japan. Uh, I studied a little bit of Japanese history in college, but that's about it. So any anything I'm about to say could be wildly inaccurate. Uh, any pronunciations could be really horrible. So, you know, I just want to get that out there. Um, 
I don't know. What about you? Do you what's your what's your like background with Japan and Japanese history? You're a history major, I believe we should mention in yes. college. Yeah. So history is a thing for you. It it is. Um I as far as Japan goes, I, I don't have a lot of experience either. Um like a, a fun aside is my aunt is Japanese. She is uh like immigrated to the West okay. Coast like a, a while ago and my uncle married her. We spent some time with her um in LA last year. Um that would probably be like my biggest uh Japanese immersion of culture I have. Um Did you, you learn know, anything like did you learn anything really striking about like Japanese culture that you didn't know before? Um not not really uh the, the my biggest thing i think was when we were out to dinner um she was very particular about serving yourself more alcohol so um it was always oh. okay to like drink your fill but it was important for um someone else other than you to pour your glass so that was kind of interesting interesting like for, like what were you guys drinking we we had gotten like a couple pitchers of beer she took us to this little sushi joint that okay. she used to work okay. out at, at and um it, we we gotten some like pitchers and um she, whenever she noticed that someone's glass was empty or, or getting close to that, she would offer to fill. Um, yeah. But it was kind of like a faux pas to like fill on yourself. And not like she would like be mad at us like the first time we did or anything like that, but it was just like an explanation that's like, hey, this is something that we do. Um, you never really like grab for yourself. Like somebody else offers to, to refill your beverage for you. Yeah, yeah. That's super cool. I'm sure that like, you know, yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think like, my biggest my, my biggest like when i whenever i think of japan in in terms of the modern world i always think about um the what do you call it reconstruction after world war 2 um the period of time where basically uh the they were de- japan was demilitarized and uh we kind of provided defense for them and i always think about this when i think about how much japan has advanced technologically and um just culturally in worldwide uh, because they didn't blow all of their budget on the military and they were able to invest in other things. Same thing with Germany, right? Like all the cool shit that Germany has, but Japan was a part of that as well. And that doesn't have a lot to do with this movie because the movie takes place in 1586. However, it does have a lot to do with the creation of the movie and the director Akira Kurosawa and uh, you know, the post-war sort of, film production studio world in japan and that movie kind of this movie kind of migrating across the world uh, through like england and the united states and which is super interesting how popular this movie became given that like obviously with the united states fighting on the other side in world war ii there's a lot of you know obviously there's japanese internment camps in the united states and there was a lot of anti-japanese sentiment um even you know obviously even to this day, but lasting through those decades and, you know, Americans having an issue with you, like buying a Japanese car or whatever. I, I, I'm thinking of that Clint Eastwood movie now where he's like the uh, Gran Torino. <laughs> yeah. Gran Torino. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's got the like Asian neighbors and he, anyways, I digress. Uh, so just a little like background there, I think on, on, uh, the actual behind the scenes of this movie, um, Akira Kurosawa is the director is kind of made in a studio system. And, uh, he had, uh, this actually wasn't like his big breakout film. That was Rashomon a couple years before that was like, um, won the silver lion, I believe at the, uh, Venice film festival, something like that. But it, it kind of was a breakout film. And then, 
uh, made him really popular. And then American audiences even were kind of interested in this, which is crazy for me to think about like you're in the 1950s and you go to a literal movie theater for this three and a half hour movie about samurais. Like it's kind of wild to think about, you know what I mean? Yeah, with I mean, it, they had the intermission built in uh, on the yes. the medium that I watched it still, so it had that just like ingrained. And uh, yeah, I think you bring up an interesting point about uh, like after war reconstruction um, and uh, the just the U.S. policy on like the Marshall Plan, like so going into these countries that we had just got done um, leveling um, and using our money and influence to help rebuild them, um, mostly out of you know fear of if we didn't do it the soviets were going to and like kind of like the beginning of like the kind of like some of the cold war politics after world war ii right. um divvying up europe yeah right right as to like you know what's behind the iron curtain and um just expanding your influence ac- across the globe um but it had this like amazing effect on germany and japan specifically where all of these industries that were they got to f- start fresh you know they got to build from the ground up and um like they're obviously still like economic juggernauts um, definitely because of kind of what you were saying. Like they didn't spend all this money on this huge, like military industrial and, complex. Yeah. They yeah. On infrastructure, you know, infrastructure for sure, which is like crumbling in the United States. It's like, <laughs> right. and you see these, like, you know, like obviously there's the Japanese uh, bullet trains and the, or is that China? I mean, I guess it's both yeah, no, they, China. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know German to Germany too, like has a lot of great like infrastructure technology with trains and, and things like that too so um yeah for sure you know just an interesting time period i think and like an interesting history of japan not only not only in the post-war era but also in the period of time that this film takes place which is the sengoku period which uh is one of these you know sprawling eras uh from 1467 to 1615 roughly according to historians um this movie takes place in 1586, so closer to the end of that period. But basically, like, just in a very basic sense, the Sengoku period in Japan was um, beginning with the crumbling of one shogunate, shogunate, and uh, it was just like kind of a time of chaos where there was no central leadership. It was a lot of like warring feudal lands and uh, and samurais and bandits ruling, running the country and. Um, and, you know, caught in the crosshairs where just normal peasants and villagers. And there's a lot of there's a lot of like class structure and stuff in this movie. That's super interesting um, when you apply the history to it. And um, and I think that's really cool to watch because it's like some of it is very specific to Japan, but obviously some of it feels very universal, just uh, class resentment. And um, I don't know, I guess we don't really have an equivalent for the samurai in in the United States, I guess. But, you know, I, I think one thing too to bring up is like as far as what a samurai actually is because I, I don't think that like people just think it's like a Japanese warrior, which is true, but it's specifically like, and correct me if I'm wrong because you probably know more about this, but like there are like these special elite warriors uh, that were basically worked for the feudal landholders. Um, and they were kind of like, they kind of like protected the property um, and so obviously they were like really skilled, uh, warriors, but they are the ones who essentially are going to be the focus of this film and the ones who like protect this village. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with like the distinction for a samurai is like that connection to, 
um, the class system in itself. Um, yeah. And I mean, the, the film talks about it a lot in, or, or the villagers kind of talk around it um, about the distinction between like a, a samurai and like another warrior and like what it means to be a samurai. Um, but it's also like particularly scary. You get into it a little bit with the, the Manzo character um, during yeah. this lawless time where there's not really a whole lot of like structure is that he was just as worried that the samurai were going to take advantage of his daughter then the same thing as the bandits, you know? So, um, like, yeah, but that distinction between a, a ruling class, like, it's really not, like, just, like, your run-of-the-mill soldier. Like, this is a whole, like, uh, yeah. a elite class of these spiritual warriors that, that are um, beholden to, like, a liege lord, you know? Right, right. And and I think that that's, like, a great place to start from talking about the peasants because it's it's how the movie begins. Basically, we see these bandits rolling up to this village, um, on these horses, like storming the place, and they're like, "Should you know? Should we plunder this place? Like, we we just came here for all the rice, was it last year? Yeah. And like, we're gonna wait till the barley's harvested." So, it, the village looks empty, and they're like, "We're gonna wait till the barley's harvested," and they leave. And then, like in the little mountain right in front of where they are, you see a couple villagers pop up, like hiding. And then the next scene is everyone like huddled, silent in the middle. And I think like right away, like the acting in this is just incredible because like the desperation is of these people is so raw. Like they have no government, they have no way to get help. And they're just like trying to find a way to fend for their own village. And some of the things like, I think immediately this woman, this woman stands up and she's shrieking and crying. And she's basically saying like, we should just kill ourselves now and be done with it. Like they're gonna win anyways, they're gonna kill us. Like why should we wait and go through all this horrible, this whole horrible affair? Being afraid of the samurai as well, it's just like, it's really horrible to think about like a society where you just have to defend, like you you have no, you have no structure to rely on. Like you just have your people. And, and one other like interesting thing that I learned um, that right around this time period, I guess it wouldn't technically connect to history, but like, in uh, 1588, there was a, actually like a sword ban, which is uh, kind of like, you know, like an ancient gun control, basically. And uh, like samurais were the only ones allowed to carry swords. And um, when you think about like why they needed to hire the samurai and why uh, they weren't, you know, in a situation like to protect themselves, like the swords are really valuable in this, obviously. And um, a lot of samurais like carry two swords and whatnot. Uh, but also apparently this sword ban kind of helped end the Sengoku period and unify because there was just less violence. So interesting parallel, United States. Take, take, take yeah, take that. Take, take notes. <laughs> take note, Congress. Right, right. Uh, well, it's like New Zealand a couple of years ago, right? They had like that one shooting and the prime minister's like, screw it, all the guns. Oh my God. Yeah, yes, tournament within right like now. a day or two. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, right. And uh-huh. yeah, wouldn't that be great to like roll into Congress and be like, amazing. Um, and, and like reference the sword ban of 1588 during <laughs> right, the Sengoku right. period. Right. We're in a bit of our own Sengoku period right now, I think. Yes. Yeah. So anyways, so the villagers, they know that they're screwed and someone comes up with the idea of like, we have to, we could we could lay down and be killed and, and end this, or we could like fight, which we're not gonna be able to do, but if we could recruit some samurai, then we would be able to, you know, have a chance maybe. So oh, and there's like the old man at the mill who's kind of like the town elder who I think maybe comes up with this idea. It's I think it's actually the the one who first gets really passionate about it is the uh I'm trying my best R- to pronounce Rikichi? it. Rikichi. Rikichi. Yeah, Rikichi, Rikichi gets really fired up about this. Um 
for reasons we kind of learn about and we could talk later as to why he was so um like feckless and why he was willing to to like lay it all on the line um but yeah he he kind of is the one that advocates for this um to a lot of consternation from like the other villagers but then yeah they they kind of get the old man to to yeah stumble yeah. down and kind of weigh in on on what's going on and what they should actually do well and it's like the like one of the most recent things that i can compare this all to that like I've watched as the Mandalorian and sort of like this idea of the bounty hunter. It's like, yeah, he's really powerful and like he could protect people, but he's also just kind of, he's a freelancer, right? He's like, he's out for himself. That's he's the only one that he looks out for. So like the idea of bringing these samurai in, it's very unpredictable. Not to mention that like they don't have anything to offer them. So that's the biggest thing. And I think another like factor that grounds this and really like reality and just real world concerns is they're like, all we have is food and we don't even have much of that. And all we have is like barley and rice and, and millet. And like, uh, I, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of unclear how they, they pull this off, honestly, but it's kind of like the goodness of the goodness of the samurai's heart. So, so a couple of them, they form a little, uh, they form a little party and they go into town. I don't know like how far away this town is or whatever, but, it's um it seems pretty busy man like there's these really cool shots where they're like they're scouting out the samurai and the camera the camera's like uh, locked down on one person going from one end to the other and then like that person passes but on the other end it like locks down on this other person and follows them like as they're kind of scouting people to see if they're like worthy samurai which um not only are they seeing if they're samurai at all but they're kind of like judging their character they're in the town and then there's a, all of a sudden this dude like runs to the river and he's like shaving his hair and the, all the townspeople are watching intently and the little party from the village is like, what's going on? And they're like, there's a thief in the hut who like stole a child and the samurai, this samurai said he's going to help us, but he needs to shave his head first. He's shaving his head because he goes back and he pretends to be a monk and he's telling, I'm, I'm just here to talk. I, I know that you and the child are hungry here are two rice balls. And this is really cool the way it's shot because you're just seeing it from the side and you don't see inside the hut and it's just kind of him like working these people. And then he throws the rice balls in and just at the right moment, he like rushes in and and basically uh, disarms or takes down the thief. He brings the, he brings the child out and the thief kind of like runs out is like struck down the middle with a sword and like in slow-mo just falls over so it's this really badass sequence where we're introduced to the first samurai, which is the master, the Ronin. His name is Kambei, something like that. He's the main one, basically. He's distinctive. He has a bald head for the rest of the movie, and he's just a total badass. I don't know how else to put it. Did you notice his? He has like a tick whenever he's thinking. Have you? Did you notice? Like yes. When he's, he's he rubs yeah. like the 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 fuzz on his hair head. He rubs his head like yeah, he has a little distance of it and he just is kind of patting it. It's really yeah, it, it's a great tick. It's mm-hmm. it's this really awesome moment uh, every time he does that and he's contemplating. So we meet him and um next up in the samurai assembly. And so this is just basically the first hour of the film is like assembling the team, assembling the samurai. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one, I think it's the next one. I'm fuzzy on the entire order of this, but I tried to reconstruct it afterwards. Uh, it's like his old friend, Shichijiro. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't know how they know each other. I think they fought together maybe at the old, for the for the same like samurai feudal warlord or whatever. Yep. 
Uh, so he he's down for the ride. Once again, I don't know why the first guy is down for the ride because they he's like he's like I could help you out, but you don't have any food, and he just kind of decides to. Did you pick up on why he decides to? So I don't I don't think that the film gets into it like a whole lot, but uh, part of like the samurai culture is like this <laughs> this culture of honor. Um, yeah, and I think like. They, they kind of like talk around it and like obviously the actions of the samurai that eventually end up being extremely honorable you know they defend this defense this defenseless village for nothing but like some rice and millet um but i think like that is kind of the driving force as to like why these guys sign up and also like just like the strength of kembe like the his ability as a leader and like how he has like this magnetic personality about like uh, the way he does things and like his, his own like personal code. So I think yes. like they kind of like, they kind of get into that. Um, and I, I also like just this sequence is, is funny. Um, there was, I, I really appreciate the movie and I, I mean, I think it's a, a product of the time, um, but it, it never, um, it takes itself seriously the entire time. And some of the things like by today's standards might seem like a little ridiculous, but I think the movie in itself like presents itself in such like a, a serious way that, um, like some of the things that just end up funny, you see like the meaning behind them. So like when they're doing this whole thing where he, he gets the apprentice to um, uh, hide behind the door with the stick and like Kembe saying like no true samurai would allow you to attack them. Like they're going to know that like you're there. It like, it, it's like, it, it looks a little ridiculous and it seems a little ridiculous, but like it, it uh, ends up setting up one of the other character, like a big character moment about, um, and I'm going to try to get the the apprentice. Yeah, it sets up the uh, yeah. Uh, the so apprentice. I have his I have his name here for you. He is Katsushiro. Yeah, Katsushiro. And, uh, he's not technically a samurai. He's well. So he was a samurai's son, but he's like he wants to be one, and he's never been in battle, and he's super eager and young and just you know ready to please. And and uh, Kembe is that how you? That's how you said his name. Yeah, I just said Kembe. Is that Kembe? Kembe. Kembe. Yeah, yeah. I like that Kembe. So Kembe is. Uh, at first he's like no i don't want i i don't think you should join us but like when they're starting to do the numbers and basically they've decided okay we need seven to like adequately defend the city um through their math they figure that out but but yeah so he's the next one who's introduced at some point and him as well as uh kikichiu who uh who does not join the team yet but he's there when they when they first like kind of after he first saves the child and he's like he's like running around and they he's like get into a fight almost like there's yeah, like a, a little yeah. bit of a physical altercation there yeah yeah because he's like you're not a samurai he's like yeah i am and then he's like i don't need to be a samurai like fuck you whatever yeah, yeah. um but anyway so yeah katsushiro he he does the thing with the stick and he's always really excited like i like when he's like should we do like the second time he's like should i do the stick thing again yeah. like he's like super <laughs> excited about it all and i think um, like the hu- the humor is like a little understated throughout the film but there were like some like genuinely like really funny moments and we'll get to one later like in the village but there was a couple like oh uh, i like, agree genuinely yeah. funny moments yeah and there's like an interesting level of humor with the samurai themselves and like ronin the or kembe because he's like uh there were a lot of times where i thought he was gonna be upset about something like specifically that kikuchiyu did and then he just kind of laughs about it or whatever. Yeah. Like there's a whole sequence later on when Kikichiyu rings the alarm bells just to, to like prank and troll people. And like I thought that Kembe is going to be furious because they just assembled and they're like the bandits are here. But he, they just all kind of laugh about it. <laughs> like 
that would be if I was a peasant in that situation, I'd be like really pissed off at these samurai. Like, okay, like it's great you guys are here, but can you take this seriously, please? Like, <laughs> we're fighting for our lives in our village. So the next samurai that they meet is Kyozo, who is a total badass. He's like the tall, skinny one who basically they come upon him when he's like battling this young hot upstart who basically challenges him to a duel and has no chance. Uh, and there's a long standoff at the beginning of their battle and like the whole village is watching and then Kyozo just kind of like swiftly takes him down. Uh, he's really quiet and then they approach him and get him to agree to join as well. Yeah, um, that was a great scene too with the, so they initially pick out reeds to fight each other and it seemed like a draw. And the yeah. guy was like, oh, it's a draw. And Kyozo says, like, if this were steel, you'd be dead. And, like, that was, like, a huge, like, offense to this this hothead. Um, yeah, that's and right. And then, out, he's like, yeah. and then he's like, let's fight with steel then. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. He, yes. And he's like, are you sure? Okay, I'm going to I'm <laughs> right, gonna I'm gonna kill do, you. I'm going to take you yeah. apart. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, the next one, I believe his name is Haihachi. So I had to construct these people because, like, I was doing the counting just by myself. And I was like... I was like, I don't know who this seventh samurai is. Like, I only have six here. Right. Um, but I think I thought that the old friend and then Gorbe, the second in command, were the same person. I they, didn't. The, the actors did look pretty similar. Did you think? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I ended up getting him confused, like pretty, like pretty early on as to like who, what exactly was going on. And I don't remember when they met Gorbe. I don't, yeah. you know. And then it's like you, like I was watching this movie, and then like when somebody directly shouts someone's name to someone who's clearly doing something, I'm like writing down, oh, that person, tall, skinny guy. His name is Kyozo. Got right, it. right, right. I, at two hours and thirty minutes in, I got his name. <laughs> um, there's Hihachi, who's the wood chopping guy. I don't feel like he really plays like a huge role. Um, Gorbe is the second in command. Gorbe is the archer as well, right? Like he's yes. like yeah. And then finally Kikuchiu, who's the angry, one, angry, crazy one who follows him around. And so he shows up again, and he's drunk. And they do the stick thing and just bash him in. <laughs> yeah. um, and he's like really drunk and he's just like no look i brought my family lineage and he has this huge scroll and basically they they are like oh this is you kikuchu it says you were it says like you were born in like 15 uh 1573 like that would make you 13 years old and they're all laughing about it or whatever and no it turns out that it's not him he like stole this from some family and he's lying about who he is and um, I forget when we learn, but later on we learn he's actually an orphan and he is, you know, it, it's kind of like, it kind of watching his character kind of reminds me of like Hamilton, watching the Hamilton musical a little bit where you're like watching Hamilton kind of just like hustle his way to the top a little bit. Um, that kind of feels like Kikichiyu where he's like lying about who he is. He's like, no, trust me, I can do this. But he's also kind of a hot mess. He's just, he's got a lot of passion about everything he does. So um, and this actor, Toshiro Mifune, is actually kind of a big deal and is in, I think, just about every one of Kurosawa's films. Um, and he recently, I think it was this year, they, they celebrated his 100th birthday. I don't believe he's alive anymore. But mm. um, the Criterion Channel, our, our, our great uh, sponsor of this pod, uh, <laughs> had like a nice little uh, collection of, of the films because it was his 100th birthday. So. 
notable actor in this one i would say yeah and all i mean just notable character too like a lot of like the major plot like come from some of the things that he does later in the film and also like he's just kind of really in, like you said like he's a hot mess and it makes him really interesting to watch um yeah. and like the he has like that you know this movie came out in the 50s so there's obviously a bunch of fiction before this but i mean some of these like tropes are being created like as we're watching them you know what i mean so like he is right. like this prototypical like orphan um that kind of is is naturally talented and, and comes up and, and imitates this class. Um, I think also just like getting into some of the parallels in, in the, like modern cinema and stuff, this recruitment scene, and, and I'm not sure if like this movie pioneered this technique, but um, it's so interesting, I think, to introduce new characters who have like their own thing. Um, yes. So yes. like, this like is everybody like, brings something to the table. Right. This is the right. archer. Here's the strong, silent type. Here's you the drunk guy. You have my bow. You have my axe. It's, right. It's right. Literally, the Lord of the Rings. Like the, right. Yeah. Or like the Avengers, or like any movie where there's like a recruitment scene. Those scenes are always super interesting because you're getting a lot of new information pretty quickly, and it's pretty intriguing. You know, like so you got this guy like, okay, like I'm a drunk ass, and I faked my family lineage, and um yes. like i'm a strong silent duelist and you know what i mean and i think yes uh, and you have these personalities like rubbing up against each other in these right. interesting ways and there's all kind of these foils playing out so it's like it's like these people have to work together right and we know they're going to but like they have to overcome these issues they have with each other first so and i think it also like serves to solidify like kembe as like the the home team you know what i mean like like so yeah. he is a newer character before this scene but like throughout like recruiting these other samurai he kind of feels like he it, it establishes him more for me and like it was like a um like he had been with the villagers longer or like I had known, yeah. I had trusted his character longer because he's he's bringing in these outsiders and he's like an insider now yeah man know? his his uh Kembe, like the actor, gave me really strong like Tom Hanks and George Clooney vibes. Like just sort of this like like America's father. Like uh like I don't know, just sort of like you immediately trusted him. He is very he spoke in this really compelling way and just uh you know, immediately was commanded your attention. So like he's he's uh very magnetic and you definitely are just rooting for him, you know the whole time through. So uh, you trust him. Like you feel like he's a natural leader. Like you feel like if you were in this situation that you would just listen to him. Like, right. Yep. That guy yep. knows, he what, knows what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I agree. Dude, totally. Like the Avengers, like whatever. We'll, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that more with some of the other comparisons, but um, actually let's talk about it now. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you like, if you were going to take the Avengers, like who are, who are some of the comparisons here? So like, I don't know superhero movies as well. So I'm going to, but I will give it a shot first. Like Kembe, I'm like, I'm like looking at the Avengers. I'm like, okay, he's like Tony Stark, right? Like he's, he's kind of the leader, right? Like he brings everyone together. And then like for Katsushiro, the apprentice, you kind of have Tom Holland as Spider-Man as like the young one who, who's like, takes him under his wing. Um, uh, I was almost, I was like, I was thinking of like, what's his, uh, Kyozo is like kind of maybe Thor. Cause he's like this silent, like serious warrior. Um, but I was also thinking like, okay, well there's Dr. Strange who's probably more on his level in the mysterious element. Um, and then I don't know, man, that's kind of where it ended for me because I don't really know the characters as well, <laughs> but I wanted to get, I wanted to get your take, man. Who are some of the, who are some of the comps here? 
Yeah, for, I, I think for me, like what you're kind of talking about with Kembe and like this natural leader thing, I see it like a more of like a, a parallel to a Captain America. And I okay. think like you see it specifically like in that first Avengers film when like they're they're finally defending New York from the the alien invasion and like Cap kind of takes control and like assumes control as a leader and everyone just kind of falls in line and listens to him even though like you were saying you know like by that point Robert Downey Jr as Iron Man had, had been in more movies like this is this is Chris Evans like second movie but it just made sense um to have cap like that's what i bring to the table it's like i'm an inspiring leader like i think that's like kembe was obviously like talented and had his own like powers and abilities but like i think what he brought to the table was like this leader thing and i think like it's it's tougher for me to like draw direct comparisons to like some of the characters we see in like avengers specifically but I, i i like how like a lot of these uh seven samurai are like setting up like archetypes that are just kind of used throughout like these team movies you know so like you've got like the inspiring leader you've got the strong silent type you've got like the wild card like who you want on your team but like he's gonna do something crazy along the way you know what i mean it's almost like a like a charlie day thing from uh (laughs) yeah i guess he's like kind of the hulk right like right like this dude is just like a force of nature like he's he's obviously he's got this huge like his his katana he like carries on his shoulder because it's like so much longer and bigger yeah. than everybody else's. Um, so well, yeah, and also gets, when we get to the final battle scene, he sticks like seven swords in the ground because he's like, I'm gonna need replacements. Like right, he has them right. ready to go. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that there's like some natural comparisons there. Um, but uh, to like the to like the Hulk and like this this wild guy um, who you definitely want on your side, but um, there's gonna have some some downside to that as well. One thing that I think is kind of interesting that that struck me as as this team was being developed and specifically with like Kikichiyu, I was thinking from like an American audience in the 1950s who's still like wary of the Japanese. It's interesting because obviously this movie's made in Japan in Japanese studio Toho, um, and uh, all you know Japanese cast everything. But uh, I feel like there there's some of like what was happening that was just maybe cinematic melodrama that like was being done just for the purpose of the film. But I feel like some of this kind of like reinforces or, or helped create like racial stereotypes of like these like wild, crazy Japanese, like just the way that like some of them shout and, and get really dramatic. And like, I don't know, man, it, it, it was just like interesting to see that play out because I felt it in the film and especially like, especially in the desperation of the villagers. But I could see how like an American watching this movie in the fifties is just like, it's Orientalism, right? So, right. like, it's just, uh, you know, a couple of history buffs talking Orientalism. But, uh, yeah, book, I don't know. Great uh, book, right? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think... Um you see it in the villagers themselves. So the, the samurai are a little more just like well-developed characters. Like they, yeah. they've got their own motivations and stuff. But the, um, I think the villagers, especially like that older guy with the ho- like the goofy horse that kind of just like walks around like hapless the entire time. Like I think his name was UA. He was like one of the, uh, yes. the villagers. He yes. is kind of just like, it just seems like a walking stereotype like this. Ditzy. But it's hard. To, it's hard to call it a stereotype because it's being made in Japan by True. Japanese people. So, but I know what you mean, and that's what that's what's kind of interesting to me is like the intention, and then the, uh, and then the reality of it, and not to mention the fact that like Kurosawa loved American films and like was was trying to create in Japan for what he saw as like what could be an American audience or, or even like introduce a Japanese audience to 
what like American movies were. I don't know. You know what I mean? So yeah. Could you um, give me a little context on like the rise of like the Western in like American cinema versus like when this film takes place or like when this film was made? Cause like I'm seeing like, I'm just like, what came first, like chicken or egg? Well, so I think like there's a lot of history of the West. There's a lot of history of Westerns in the silent film area era with like the, the very classic stereotypical, like Robert tying the, the woman down on the train tracks and, and, um, sort of that feel it's like those movies being made in a time in California when like it's not that far removed from the actual gold rush and the actual period of like Western exploration and California even becoming a state and whatnot. It's like 60 years later. Um, But uh, I I feel like obviously there were Westerns in like the thirties and forties and, and and then John Ford was a big uh, Western film director, but I feel like, and I, you know, I'm I'm not like an expert on this, but I do feel like it was a little bit more popular, like kind of after this film. Like I, like right. if we're talking chicken and the egg, like it kind of goes hand in hand, but like this movie, I would say definitely has an influence on the American Western in a, in a, in a sim, symbiotic way. Right. Right. Because the think- filmmakers that are like referenced as, um, some of Kurosawa's idols were like Frank Capra and Eliak, or sorry, Frank Capra. Uh, who else did I? I was reading sort of like the filmmakers that he had cited, and Frank Capra was not necessarily like a Western director. Like he did, um, uh, God, It's a Wonderful Life, I think, and and movies like that, sort of like these, um, the American values and like uh, um, good old American towns, more modern than like the westerns a little bit, you know. Right. So. I just now I feel like, like a, I'm talking out of my ass a little bit, but <laughs> I think you bring up a good point because I do think that this was like an influential film in the American Western, right? And especially you, as like, especially in later westerns that are like happening in a more modern era, right? Like you've got these, uh, like the samurai representing like law and order, like coming into these like lawless towns to like uh, to uh, like uh, solve a problem, to like establish and to like protect these little towns and like i think you could easily it's swap a train out. and build an army and like right right you yeah. could easily swap out like one of the ronin for like a clint eastwood like former sheriff coming into town or like um yeah these former the idea of like former union soldiers like settling the west and right um like establishing law and order in these uh um, right. little dusty shanty towns you know and i know that the the american film the magnificent seven is is just an adaptation of this film straight up like it it takes place in mexico but it it adapts everything that happens in this movie so, so it's go ahead i think i like i think kurosawa is credited as a co-screenwriter on that movie that's cool we should watch that next um yeah actually, right another thing too and it was just going through my head like tombstone right like tombstone is basically yeah <laughs> seven seven samurai as well like yeah um, uh, what's his face? Batman, Sh- Schumacher's Batman, Val Kilmer. Um, couple. And they others. also they also recreated Magnificent Seven just a couple years ago with Denzel Washington, and I never like heard or saw that movie. I have no idea what's going on there. So, right. Um, talk about a, this movie just won't go away, man. They just keep. <laughs> I know. Right. Not even the generator of tropes. Like they're actually just remaking it constantly. Right, right. <laughs> One of the things that has to happen is they have to, um, they decide they have to like remove this bridge. And there's a couple households um, for, on the east side that they're basically saying like these people have to evacuate. 
And uh, it's important because it blocks off like one side of this four pronged, four sided attack. Um, but it basically like helps protect them. Uh, and one of the people that lives out in the east is the old man in the mill. Uh, and it's not till later, but like when they reveal this, it's just like everyone is shocked. Like it's like, which I don't know. I guess like, I, I guess I'm like one of two ways with that. Cause in my head, I was like, I was like, this is kind of stupid. Like they should just be like they should be okay with the fact that they have to leave their homes. But then I'm like, no, that's like, if I was told I had to leave my home or I think about like any, you know, modern day refugees or even, you know, something that's more timely in the news right now is like evictions. And it's just like, I I get that. I get why these people were upset about having to leave their homes. But at the same time, I was like, okay, yes, you're trying to defend your village and they're like bringing up a good strategic point. Like, why are you guys freaking out? So then we, you know, we get some of that like class resentment because uh, Kikichuo shows up. I'm just going to call him Kiku. Yeah, whatever. Uh, He shows up with like wearing this old samurai armor and uh, the samurai get like a little sensitive about it because basically I guess that this is war. This is like armor that the farmers have like previously hunted the samurai. And that was something with like the history that I didn't fully understand, but I guess just sort of the history of like, this lawless time of everyone having to fend for themselves and that, you know, farmers and samurai really were not on the same side. Like, mm-hmm. like everyone was kind of their own group. Katsushiro, the young one, he's actually, when he was out in the forest earlier on, he runs into, I believe it's Shino, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shino, the, the uh, girl, the young woman, and they sort of have a little meet cute in the forest. And then they start like a little secret romance. Um, which he, you know, I guess he has to keep secret because there's a couple levels to it, right? Like, one, he wants to be taken seriously as a samurai, but two, there is sort of this, like, class resentment where the samurai can't really be with the farmer and the... Or, I don't know, are the samurai, like, celibate? Like, what's... They're definitely not celibate. I think, like... I think, and this kind of goes back to this, like, honor thing. Um, this, yeah. This, like... Um, if you think of like the 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 nature of like authority in sexual relationships and like power in like a power dynamic, like the samurai are like so far above the farmer class, and and the, 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 this is just my like reading of it, like they're so far above the farming class in, in terms of like social power and actual power that like how do you really have a consensual relationship with someone like that far beneath you in, in like the hierarchy like maybe they're like they're in love you know it's it absolutely like it's consensual between two people there but the the class between divide two is, consenting adults right between two consenting adults but like the and like what's um, the sexual relationship they don't have sex until the, the final night before the battle like they're they're basically rubbing noses in flower fields for four days but um oh yeah the, uh, that's true but it's consensual you know it's consent consensual in, in like a in in terms of like these are two consenting adults but like but i was thrown is... off at one point because like like when he shows up to her in the rain and kyozo sees them like i definitely thought she was pregnant for a second so i was like oh, oh did they already but no I that's guess quick just, they've been in the village this is for a little a bomb, while. maybe yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good, um, thing, good thing i wasn't in the village to ask her you know right right yeah. yeah um but yeah i think i think like the the class divide has a lot to do with like as to why he can't plus like just and it's almost like hypocritical because a lot of the samurai like you said are just kind of like lazing around waiting for um the bandits to come but like if you're trying yeah, to but take... it's kind of like if you're like a like you know if you're a professional basketball player like you don't really have to practice every day like or like baseball like 
you know, those people don't have to like practice. Like it's the same way with these samurai. They're like, okay, like we got to train these freaking peasants, but like we're we're ready to fight. Like right, we know. And what also, we're doing. like I think it also just speaks to like the nature of warfare a lot. Like you hear in the military a lot, like this whole hurry up and wait. You know, like there's not. Um, in between like actual conflicts and like what's going on, there's not like a lot to do, you know, like once they, they finish the drills for the day or they, they move a bridge or they um, like start discussing their plans on how they're going to flood uh, the, the rice paddy. Um, yeah, th- yeah. It is like a bunch of like hurry up and wait, you know? Um, I think it's, it's, it was around this time where Kembe like comes up with the system to like, he makes his little scroll with the circles on it as to, like, how many bandits they know there are. Um, yeah, yeah. And then starts, like, Just X-ing them tallies. off. Which also, like, in my mind, um, I don't know. I, I appreciated... I appreciated that being established because... I thought it was almost just, like, a device for the audience. Like, yeah. obviously, they would keep track, but it was just, like, a cool visual representation for, like... Right, audience, and also, you like, know? you couldn't just hand wave, like, when it, when it came down to, like, the final battle, like, you knew what the stakes were, like, you knew what, like, each side had left, and, like, you couldn't just hand wave like you would with, like, Lord of the Rings or something, you know, where they're at Helm's Deep, like, right. they, it's like, oh, the they've, they've killed 5,000 of the 7,000 orcs, like, the battle's almost over, like, they it was just like the battle was done, you know, whereas in Seven Samurai, they have, like, this visual representation of, like, okay, like, we're getting mm-hmm. down to it, there's 30 bandits left, and, you know, we just lost our first samurai, you know, um... Like, yeah, and it's a, it's a much more strategic, like realistic thing happening of sort right. of like the math of war, like because they're like uh, one of the nights they're like we got six, we killed six, but at a heavy price, and you know like then that's the first time really that we see like some of the townspeople or the townspeople dying. Um, yeah, yeah, and and another thing that they start doing is they they go on like little scouting missions and they kind of go chase the bandits down themselves. Um, like one thing and then we learn that the bandits actually have a couple uh guns like fire you know Mm -hmm. gunpowder fire firepowder whatever um and uh and they successfully bring one back right or they yeah they they get one Mm -hmm. yes right because they need to prove to cersei that um (laughs) (laughs) the walkers are coming yeah Uh the worst so (laughs) Um, but this is like one of the most badass moments in the movie is like they capture one. Everyone wants to get a piece at him, but then like Kembe is like enough stop or whatever. But then like the camera cuts to like the old grandma woman just walking slowly with a pitchfork and she just kind of drifts off screen and you get the sense that she, she brings the pitchfork down and kills this guy herself. And it's just like, she has this just like steely resolve in her eyes, dude. It's so great. Yeah. Um, it's also a little messed up, you know. I mean, it it, it is it messed up. But... The samurais a little bit, like you know, that they're not just these walking honor mobiles that aren't gonna be like morally perfect at all every moment. Like they, they I think they the line they say like her 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 son and husband were murdered by bandits. Like let her yeah. let her kill him. Like yes. it was this kind of like messed up moment of vengeance, you know. Yeah. It. it for sure it kind of established that like the stakes and um i think you need moments like that especially in a movie like this because you can get kind of caught up in the fun of the um of the assembly of the team and whatnot but like it's it's a long movie and it's a lot of just preparing and the final battle is only maybe the last 30 or 40 minutes of the movie um but you have to like i i feel like if there's one criticism it'd be sort of like 
not reminded enough of the stakes at play for the villagers. Like it kind of focuses on the samurai a little bit too much. Like we need the like people's history of the United States, like version of this movie Mm -hmm. where we're like watching from the peasant's perspective, because um, I think that like those early scenes that I was talking about where they're like the total desperation and this moments like this with the, with the old woman with the pitchfork or um, Manzo and his daughter, like that's a pretty striking scene. Like the, he's, he's fucking upset about having to do it, but he's like, this is for the best. And, and those moments for the villagers when you can really feel like how their entire way of life and like everything they know is at stake. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I kind of wish there was, I kind of wish there was a little more of that, but, um, but you know, it's, it, the moments that do happen are pretty powerful. Um, one other thing that happens is, and maybe maybe you understand this a little bit better than me, but one of the samurai, I believe, Hihachi, or I'm actually a little bit confused on who it was, but they go, um, they go to the enemy, and as they're all sleeping, they burn the barn down that they're all in. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them recognizes like this woman in there, and she runs out and uh is about to leave like as the building's burning down but she actually runs back into the burning burning building and then we learn it was like Hihachi's wife it was He's, uh it was Rikichi or R- Rikichi oh was it okay got yeah. it so so was his wife like sleeping with a bandit is that what was <laughs> he happening? was kidnapped so that's kind of like what i was talking about at the beginning when the reason he was so gung-ho about fighting like laying down his life to to end these bandits was okay. because she was kidnapped and he had nothing left to lose where like okay. some of the other villagers like monzo for example like they kind of put them against each other because he still had his daughter he didn't want anything bad to happen to shino but right. rikichi's okay. like my wife already got kidnapped and like you don't know this. At Does the he say of the that film. earlier on? I don't remember. No, no, you don't know he's married because he also has that breakdown when they're making fun of him for finding a wife. Remember? Yes. They're yeah. like, you need to go find a wife, Rikichi. Blah, blah blah. And he has like this complete bake, like breakdown, like falls to the the floor, and you don't really know why. But then mm-hmm. after she kills herself, basically, um, right? She he like he said he like confesses the story like this was my wife like they he, she was stolen they stole her they stole my horse. Like that was uh Oh man, like I a, missed that. Yeah. That's the thing with like with a movie. Okay, so you have a three and a half hour movie with subtitles. Right. That I enjoyed a lot, but you know, naturally we're watching these movies at home. I drift off to my phone and the, you can't you can't do a phone with subtitled movies because no. you just literally <laughs> you just don't Right. I had the and, amount of times uh, I had to rewind Parasite this week just like while I was watching. I was like, wait, what the hell just happened? Uh, oh, you watched Parasite too. I did, I did watch Okay. Parasite. I watched a lot of movies this week. You inspired me. Um, any more any more like Southeast Asian Flicks? Are you just on a Southeast Asian kick here? No, I Parasite. I think we talked. I guess about destroy all time. monsters, right? Right. Yeah. I'm all, Save I'm, that for the bonus episode. Right. That was right. That was that was my uh, uh, guilty pleasure watching yeah. um, compared to Seven Samurai. But yeah, so that was his wife, and like I think I don't know what the implication was, but like obviously of her this, killing herself. Yeah, like the experience of living with these bandits or like whatever was going on with these bandits was like unbearable for her. Like so that she yeah. she decided to kill herself. Um well, and I think I almost like, I almost read that too as like she she saw that like it was kind of messed up what they did by by burning this barn, honestly. Like, right? Like it was pretty savage in a way that like kind of um kind of fell outside of the the bounds of of normal warfare if it were you know i mean there was no normal warfare in this time but like 
what they did was messed up. It, it killed a lot of people. And I almost like kind of read that now is that she ran out and she saw like he was responsible for burning the barn down. And she was, she had no hope either way. Like she didn't want to be with these people either anymore. Or, you know, like you said, it's like, like the woman at the beginning who just wanted to end it all because right. there's no hope for anything. So I, I don't know, like in, I am just hesitant to speak too much about what I don't know, but I know that suicide <laughs> yeah. speak like suicide has a, a really um, like prominent um, effect on Japanese culture. You know, like yes. you hear about it a lot um, right. and like their work culture, what goes on there. Um, mm. There was also, uh, there's the Harikari, there's the, right. there's Seppuku. the Kamikaze. Yeah. Like seppuku ritual suicide, like when you're yes. you've been you've been dishonored or you've dishonored yourself, and yeah. you have like if you've deemed yourself like irredeemable, it's it's the honorable thing to do is like to kill right. yourself. Um, and there's also the the like suicide forest, which right. we should we shouldn't speak too much about because Logan Paul made an ass out of himself. He did by going he certainly there did making that YouTube video, but like a forest where, um, um, like a abnormally high number of suicides take place, and there's kind of like this spiritual element to the to the forest i believe like right like in local culture right so i think like suicide it, it has like a really prominent and more so in a lot of other cultures i would say that it has like a prominent place in japanese culture is like the idea of like suicide and also like ritual suicide um i like you know i'm yeah. like a huge pop culture guy in like all mediums and i think like specifically of there's a really popular video game franchise gears of war um and mm. there is like this plot line is almost exactly pulled from seven samurai where like one of the main characters his whole like reason to be is like the enemy of soul my wife like i need to like i know she's alive like i'm going to get her and then like he finds her eventually and rescues her um but the ex- and this is like maybe where i'm pulling from to like my interpretation of the scene but like her experience with the enemy and like the trauma of being kidnapped and like whatever was going on during her like imprisonment was too much and like he he rescues her and like she's alive um but she ends up taking her own life um, oh wow yeah yeah and like i think there's just again this movie part of the reason i chose it was cuz i am such like a huge pop culture guy in all mediums and i think like plots and tropes and like this this was like the genesis of a lot of things that i've just been interested in over the years and that's and so a, you've a like specifically reason. seen this movie referenced as a as a influence on like a lot of things that you followed yes yeah there was yeah. definitely yeah this wasn't a random choice for me definitely not right right yeah for sure and i mean once again like we, we mentioned this in the intro but like obviously george lucas was obsessed with the with the films of akira kurosawa and actually uh uh, financed his last two films, uh, Kagamash, Kagamashu and Ran, uh, because basically uh, Kurosawa was done making films after he tried with a, like an American studio audience, or sorry, an American uh, film studio, and uh, it was kind of a failure. It was Tora, 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 and he ended up not even like being a part of the film production, and then he just kind of like wallowed in in failure until like George Lucas went and saved him after the success of Star Wars. He was like, he was like, we're really not going to let this like amazing director just sit and not make movies. Right. Like we're going to help finance his movies. And so, so that's pretty cool. But like, it's a weird, it's like a weird, uh, you know, coming full circle for that. But obviously I think like the, like just the idea of samurai culture is like, such a heavy heavy influence on the idea of the jedi right like i feel like that's the most direct connection between like 
these movies, the samurai movies, and the Star Wars movies. Star Absolutely. Wars movies. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think of it just like the single sword, you know, a single lightsaber, not right. very heavily armored, very spiritual honor, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think, I think you, yeah, definitely. And part of it, and, and this is part of like watching old movies that I've found a lot is that like you have to, <laughs> you have to like remove some of the stuff that seems so obvious to yourself because it's like part of the reason that something feels like a cliche or feels obvious is because you've like, you've already seen the next, you know, five decades play out since this movie's <laughs> happened. So like something that seemed revolutionary at the time doesn't necessarily like strike you the same after you've seen it over and over again in, in our culture where we, you know, watch and consume so much media. So, um, so yeah, let's see what else happens. Uh, the, in that same scene, I believe the, um, (laughs) Kikuchi is there and the, there's a baby they rescue and he's holding the orphan baby and he starts crying because he's, he's like, this baby is me. It reminds me of him. (laughs) Like it reminds him of himself because he's an orphan. And like, I think that's a pretty powerful moment for his character too. Um, then the next like the next notable scene I have written down is um is basically they are um it's the middle of the night and they are near the enemy and they are like if we could uh we just need to like remove one more of their guns because they have a couple guns like we need to steal one of their guns and Kyozo is just like I'll do it and uh just bolts then, off into the forest <laughs> bolts off he disappears <laughs> and then it's like night they're all waiting he's nowhere to be found they haven't heard anything and then like later that night or i think it's actually in the morning he shows back up down the road and he just like hands uh hands one of them the gun and he's like i killed two more (laughs) and then like like just like silently sits down and like goes to sleep and i just like was watching this thinking like oh this is like the samurai equivalent of like the cool guys don't look at explosions like (laughs) Well, it, but it also uh, it it pisses Kikuchiu off, you know, like and he right. ends up going trying to do the same thing because he also sees some of the adoration that um, Kyozo was getting from uh, what's his face, the the younger guy. I keep forgetting him. Katsushiro. Yeah, Katsushiro. Like, yeah. there's like a um, Katsushiro. Well, there's like, also the admiration there too because he because Kyozo discovers Katsushiro and Shinu off in right. the woods together, and he he doesn't say anything to the rest of the samurai. Essentially gives him a pass and understands and yeah and there's and he knows that he like kept that secret safe basically so right it was a little bit before this too was probably my i actually kind of laughed out loud when i when it happened but um i think it was when um kyokuchu had the 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 armor that the villagers are stolen and he was wearing it and like ranting and like just like completely like raving mad and like screaming um and then he kind of like stops and he's like panting and then like the first thing to like break the silence i think is gorbe and he's like do you ever do anything but shout? Um, and, <laughs> and it like reminded it was like this like snappy dialogue like would yeah. fit like in like a modern like, like Marvel, a Marvel movie, movie for sure. Yeah, yeah, like it just like completely like it's a really intense moment and he's like completely bearing it all. He's like drunk and like screaming and like right. the first thing like out of Corbe's Gor- mouth was like a do you ever do you do anything but scream or but but right. shout? And it was like just completely undercut and it was hilarious. It was it was really funny. Yeah, uh, this is definitely more Marvel than DC. Like with the yeah. humor. The, yeah, yeah, there's enough humor that. Um, uh, one other thing too that I'm like reminded of. It's like we're talking about the genres. Is is like this this movie almost made me think of like a bunch of sports movies too, where it's like 
like like I, I was thinking of Remember the Titans, and it's kind of the same concept too, where it's like you meet all the different players on the sports team, and they all like have it different personalities and attributes, and they have to like come together and work together, and like it's just like funny to see that influence as well because um, that's like such a different area. But of course, it's 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 all the same. It's just the idea of like teamwork essentially, right. or like know? major league. You know what I mean? Like you got like you're yeah. assembling this eclectic group of baseball players to go and win the World Series. You know, like it's, right. I think like right, any of these right. recruitment montages could kind of fit with this movie, you know? Yeah. Or like mystery man, my favorite. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can't remember all the scenes where I'm sure we're missing a lot of great moments, but other than just reciting the plot, you know, we get to the final battle, um, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Like I, I, one thing that just struck me about it is that like, there's no music, uh, and especially in the final one, it's just like there's the rain is coming down. We're seeing samurais, some of the samurai die. So like um, Gorobe is killed um, at sort of the main entrance. And we don't even see that happen, but we just kind of see like Kembe. Um, we see Kembe see it and they just kind of like they go and bury him. And, and Katsushiro's, um, uh, or sorry, Kikichi is like really affected by Gorobe dying and he sleeps by his grave all night. Um, and then the next day during the final battle, is that when he like slams a sake too? Like Kembe goes to offer him the cup of sake, and then he just like takes yeah. the whole jug and just like, yeah, yeah, just downs it. <laughs> yes, yeah. right, yeah, he's just intense. Um, uh, and then you know it's raining during the final battle. They're just like kind of s- standing around waiting for it to happen. Like it, they're not coming. Um, more of the villagers are killed, and then. Uh, Kikachiyu is killed as well by uh, by gunfire, and uh, he's killed. But then he stays standing up, and this is kind of like there's a moment like this in Lord of the Rings, right, where somebody's like, "Is it Boromir?" Or like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he takes the knife out of him and then still runs. And I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, Boromir's Boromir's death in in Fellowship is really like really similar to this, and. I, I spoiling the, fellowship of the rings right everyone. yeah if sorry you haven't um, seen it yet right or read the 80 year old book but um <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, my favorite that was my favorite like one of my favorite things in um one of my film classes in college was like lay miz had just come out the new lay miz movie and uh one of my uh classmates was describing it and another one was like wait don't spoil it i haven't seen it and we're like this is a 200 year old book like we're allowed to spoil it <laughs> right there's no right. no spoilers does not apply to the miss to the yeah uh this yeah. is um uh no i mean yeah this like the the idea of like this like valiant last stand like boromir goes through it in in fellowship like protecting the hobbits and um kikachu has like a similar moment so boromir is like driven by this guilt that he he fell to the ring like so easily and like it right, almost cost right. him the friends and then like kikachu has that moment too where he gets ua killed it sounds so much like pikachu i know the way we're saying <laughs> yeah, but even kind of the way they say it, they they say it really quickly like kikachu kikachu and it, like a really like the low voice it's really hard to like uh to get which the to be fair also also japanese so you know, right right not that um, far off but yeah so he gets he gets ua killed by screwing around and going to like he's showboating and he gives Yue his post because he wants yeah. to go showboat and show up Kyozu and go steal a rifle. And then Yue ends up killed. And I think it, it kind of sets up like his, the end of like his character arc where he has like this valiant last stand. And I I thought like 
Kyozo dying, like right before Kikuchio did, was like a little like out of nowhere. Like he just kind of walks past this hut where like the bandit leader is holed up with the rifle, and like Kyozo gets blown away first, and then oh yeah, Kikuchio. I totally forgot about that. It was because yeah. it, it's it's a really small moment. Like it, like yeah, yeah. like this yeah. he is kind of just unceremoniously killed, which I think. It, for a war film like that does a lot to show that like nobody is I, invincible you know for sure and i think it also like is is playing into what i'm talking about about this like final battle feeling very unconventional in some ways right. um and yeah and and kikichi is killed in the same fashion by this um by one of the bandits hiding in the hut um and uh he's shot but then he's standing there holding where he's shot and he he pulls his sword out and he just chases the guy down and uh, stabs like just runs through the back of the hut and like stabs him on this bridge and kills him. It's a pretty you know badass final moment for him. But then he's down on the bridge and they realize he's dead. And um, that's kind of you know they they finally win, but like nobody nobody's celebrating. Katsushiro is actually just crying. And uh, and you know the you know they you see like a little bit down the road and they're like harvesting the barley in the, in the rice or the fields or whatever. But, um, some of those samurai are still around and Ronan is just like, in the end, we lost the battle too. the victory belongs to those peasants, not to us. And, uh, that is just like really weird feeling for the end of the movie. But I think, I think a cool take on it because obviously this idea that like, you know, war, there's, there's not always winners in war, obviously, and it's like, like for either side, like you you lose men and you there's a human cost at stake, you know. Right. I don't want to verge into like our president calling, um, you know, dead uh, soldiers losers and suckers, but, uh, <laughs> but but essentially yeah. what I'm saying is that yeah, it's there's a human cost and uh, and um, I think that this film like really gets at that you know and it, it is interesting too because obviously these samurai didn't have any stake it wasn't their village they signed up to do it and they lost almost half of the samurai so right and like they don't they don't go into it a whole lot but they talk talk around it a little bit with some of these scenes like i've been saying a lot like them talking around it but um like over the course of however long the samurai are at this village they like kind of slowly like peck away at like the bandits forces and by the end of it like the bandits have more like troops than the the samurai do um but they've kind of like it's almost like a more personal battle for the bandits now and also like they're just right, as desperate as the had, like, villagers you know like they right. need to do this because they need to survive like um like it's it's talking about like it's like a bigger commentary i think on like the era where like right. some people end up being farmers and some people were pushed into this life of banditry you banditry. know like they're not just like the bandits like clearly like these are the bad guys like the samurai are going to fight them but they're not so much so like completely dehumanized you know like they are like i wish we were almost given a little bit more of that because kind of the rest of the movie does a good job of establishing like like yeah obviously you're rooting for the samurai and the villagers but like it still does a good job of establishing that like everyone is kind of their own hero and anti-hero and like i i wish we saw a little bit more of the bandits because you're right you know like like i i don't know but then again it's kind of like it's kind of hard to defend what they're doing because of the women and the children and, right and the the village did not have that much to offer like it's not like they were stacking uh like a kingdom or right. like taking down a king or something like that like i want to agree with you but also when i think about it i'm like 
no, they should have they should have passed. They should have had mercy on this village, or or at the very least, they could probably come in and rule it without killing everyone. And you know, I, but there's there's an interesting thing at the beginning of this movie too, where like the woman who's talking about how we should all kill ourselves, she is talking about like the uh, the land taxes and the and the forced labor of the era, and just sort of like once again these very real concepts of like right. what people had to deal with under these like feudal like like feudal lords and everything so yeah i think i'm looking at it in like a modern perspective too because i i don't think you've read the books yet but there's this really good speech that george r R. martin has in like the the fourth ice and fire book about like the broken man and like it's he he wrote it no well he he wrote this speech and it's it's from like a um a priest like character talking about this idea of the sparrow uh yeah one of the sparrows yeah yeah wait really Uh, oh okay not the high sparrow no no not not the high sparrow it's actually septum uh maribald i think is his name but Mm. he has his speech about the broken man and like because the fourth book kind of deals with the fallout from like the war of the five kings and like how like the roads there's a lot more bandits now because you have these like broken men after war who don't really know anything else but war and they don't um like they've lost their homes they've been pulled up then i kind of like i was looking at like some of these bandits and i was probably just putting too much of my bias in as like these like broken men who like this is their life you know like right kyokuchu um could have easily ended up as one of these bandits you know like but he decided to impersonate a samurai you know like for sure um, for sure but they are they they are in in a way they're like saved by their numbers you know the fact that they do band together but at the same time, they don't have to sack the city and no. kill everyone. They, no, no. I mean, I they're they're very clearly set up as like bad bad guys. These are these are the bad right, guys, right, you know. Right. Like, and I think Kurosawa probably didn't give us a bandit character on purpose because, like, if you gave them like an actual character other than the one guy who's wearing like a funny helmet and was kind of designated as like the leader, but if you right. like name one of those guys, I think it it plays a little too much into like we're gonna make the uh, you you still needed like an antagonist. Like that was the obviously the driving force of the film was this like force of nature bandit horde is going to come and kill us we need to go find samurai to protect us you know yeah yeah and and like one thing that i learned too in researching this which kind of blew my mind because like i am really into the idea of like film censorship and especially like i've watched a lot of russian and iranian films and there's like huge cultures of censorship censorship in both of those countries but at the same time like an amazing filmmaking tradition of uh sort of like sneaking stuff past the sensors or basically like working within the system. Um, but I learned that actually at this time, I, I guess maybe it was, maybe it ended in 52 at the end of like the reconstruction, but like for, for like 10 years or so after world war two, um, not only were like the Americans in charge of the military, but there were actually American censors for the Japanese film studio process which is crazy, which is awesome. Like, mm-hmm. it's not awesome, but it's it's one of those things that, like, we don't associate with America. But, of course, like, when it comes to the way that we police other countries, you know. Right. So when I think about, like, a lot of these, like, Russian films, Rush, you know, Russia has tons and tons of war films as relate to World War II, and they all, like, had to, like, have this, like, checklist of values of, like, patriotism and nationalism and... and mm-hmm. uh, the the morals couldn't be like too ambiguous or whatever but like i kind of think about that with this film too of just sort of like okay we can't like i I don't know like i don't know if there was a big culture of that at the time but just sort of like yeah the morals have to be clear here of of who was right and who was wrong but at the same time the movie rashomon that made him famous was 
was basically the total opposite. Like that was like a huge innovation and in the idea of like the different perspectives because it's basically like the trial of this um, this man who's accused of raping this woman and you actually see what happens from four different perspectives and you see it and it kind of changes a little bit each time. So it's like a, it's like a pretty radical form of uh, filmmaking at the time that it was released. But, um, you know, you see it from the woman's perspective. You see it from the man's perspective. You see it from like a ghost's perspective, I'm pretty sure, which is pretty cool. Um, but like clearly, clearly, you know, he's an intelligent dude. He was interested in, I think like, if you're interested in filmmaking like in a very real way, then you're going to be into that concept of like subjectivity and everybody's own point of view. So clearly when you think about that last film and you think about some of these ideas, like he was definitely very acutely aware of like everyone has their own reasons for what they're doing and morals aren't always so clear cut. So yeah, I definitely think that some of that is present in in this movie as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of like a melancholy note to end on in in the movie, but um, really effective. Uh, It is kind of crazy when you finish this movie and it's like three and a half hours and you're like, yeah, okay, there was just like the battle at the end. But then it's like, what did I just watch? But it's engaging at the same time. Like, Mm -hmm. and I'm like having a hard time thinking back on all of the specific scenes, but it's, it's a pretty easy watch. I mean, I did watch it in a couple parts, like did not sit through this all at once, just based on my schedule, but, um, you know, it's a pretty easy watch. And I I think that like, there's something cool too, about a lot of these movies from like the forties, fifties, sixties, that just like, it's in the sound design. It's in the way that the dialogue is spoken. They're just very like soothing and calming. And it's easy to fall asleep because they just kind of have this like lullaby quality to them. And I especially think about like the sound design of, of the movies of the forties. It's just lush and, I don't know the way people talk is something like it's old radio style to it. So definitely felt that with this movie and the subtitles or sorry, not the subtitles, but just hearing people, you know, speaking Japanese and in the samurai movies. And in this movie, just the soft drum beat in the background, like through a lot of the scenes, boom, 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 boom. Just, I don't know, man, it's great. It's, it, it it's an easy watch. I think in a lot of ways like that, but uh Yeah you know, really, really enjoyed watching this film again. As I got closer to the end, I, I remembered I had seen it before. So I have seen this whole movie before, but I, you know, stuff came back to me, but I didn't remember it as much as I thought it would. And I think once again, that's kind of to the point of remembering the broad strokes, but the, there's a lot of detail, a lot of detail here. So, so yeah. Um, any, do any other closing thoughts on this before we wrap this up? I know that there's, you know, a lot covered here, but no, I think just kind of, again, like, it, obviously it's inspired, like, a lot of, like, what we're seeing right now with these superhero flicks. And, like, you were just saying, like, ending the movie on a melancholy note and, like, not a whole lot happened. But I think it's about the characters. And, like, I was just thinking as you were saying that, it's like, shit, I would watch another movie with, like, Kembe in it. Like, if you showed me, like, what's Kembe's next adventure? I'd watch it. You know, and it's like, it's like the yeah, comic book characters, you know, where, like, you can they're kind of like immortal in that sense that it's it, the interesting part about what they do is like that, what their character does in certain situations, you know? And it's like, I was just thinking like, yeah, God, show me, show me, you know? And then like, show me in the future, 40 years from now when the apprentice is the master and like, he's doing his whole thing. Like I'm, I'm such a sucker oh, yeah, for like for sure. serialized entertainment like that. Um, Especially yeah. because with his character, he's so like, 
he he's so young and fresh and like you know a lot of them have beards and he has like a really clean shaven face and right he's always smiling this like big sheepish smile it's just like you want to see like that next step of him being like this grizzled old right uh, yeah like, show me his first scar you know like what, yeah, what's that gonna yeah. happen yeah right and i mean you kind of see that at the very end of the movie with him crying and, and right mourning the people but yeah yeah that's a good point i would i would watch something like that and i think that some of these actors i know reappear in in other uh, uh some of his other films and i'm sure you know he he's known for his samurai movies like he has other samurai movies so I, i'm sure there's i'm sure there's further viewing that could sat you know scratch that itch but yeah yeah, at the same time, I'm like, you're right, but I'm like, eh, you know, we, we had three and a half hours of this, right. and I like the contained movies, but, um, right, right. you know, to each their own, so. So, yeah, man, I would say great choice, and uh, I'm glad we could revisit this movie, and I'm, I'm glad you could see it for the first time and sort of, like, get to the get to the origins of all this uh, pop culture that you've been consuming. Yeah. Yes, it's it was it was definitely an experience, and yeah, it was it was easy to watch. I'm happy I did it. Um Thanks for inviting me on the show and kind of experience. It was a, I had no idea what, where you were going with at first when you sent me that text the other night. Um, and I was like, okay, here we go. We're, we're doing a movie podcast. Cool. But I'm really, oh, happy man, I this it. is, this is just all about expanding horizons. Uh, you know, seven samurai isn't the most obscure pick that we could do on this movie. And I, I would say none of the movies that we've done so far necessarily are because there's a lot of obscure stuff. But I think like when we think about the stuff that, we just put on netflix on a friday night um it's cool to dip into the dip our toes into the film history a little bit and you know especially when it's not the it's not the default thing to watch so so yeah thanks again and uh we will uh we will see you next time